Welcome to the AJP podcast, a podcast for pharmacists by pharmacists, where we discuss current events, relevant topics and emerging issues. I'm your host, Carly McMoore, and together with the AJP, I'm bringing you the opinions and expertise of different pharmacists to discuss their views and insights on topics relevant to pharmacists. Please like and rate each episode and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. So, hi, my name is Taryn Gill. I am a pharmacist and own a business in regional Victoria in, in the Western region, so in Maryborough. Thank you, Taryn. Um, I thought I'd ask you about some of the unique considerations for rural and regional pharmacists um, and what your thoughts are about the lack of consultation regarding the new government announcements. Well, I have lots of choice words about the lack of consultation that I don't think are terribly appropriate in this forum. But if you can think of all all the um, the frustrated words that you feel, um, I have those around the lack of consultation. Uh, I think in particular, regional and rural pharmacies um, and pharmacists already have challenges around workforce, um, around the um, six-week wait to see a GP, um, all those things that have been sort of sold to us as 60-day dispensing will be a solution for that. But I know for a fact that my GPs in my town are going to be still booking their chronic care patients in every three months, um, whether there's a 60-day script or not. So it's not going to reduce the burden. Um, the burden will still be there. Um, and the extra administrative loads that we're about to see in regards to methadone being claimed through the PPA portal, um, the fact that I already do the work for nursing homes and um, the fact that, you know, the funding was, which I'm unclear about how that funding actually looks, but um, that's going to be sort of given back to pharmacy, so-called, in a different way. All of those things are real logistical, rostering, recruitment um, and operational nightmares, um, probably for all pharmacists, but I think for regional pharmacies even worse. So you've mentioned um, about the waits to see GPs and about the burdens um, pharmacists already face and some more administration nightmares. I guess from what has been announced, um, how do you see some of these consequences impacting on your business practically? So we have been reviewing what we can do, and I guess we need to understand which molecules in what tranches, um, say the 1st of September 1, how that will impact. As a team, we have discussed um, potentially charging for deliveries, and we deliver as far as a whole other town called Avoca, um, so about you know 30-minute drive away. We have discussed charging um, more for Webster packs. Um, we do lots of stat decks and things like that for free um, and charging for that, um, and really making sure that our professional services that we deliver that help the town, like leave consultations, probably increasing the prices on those things. But we're also very conscious that we, we're in the lowest socioeconomic shire of Victoria. Um, and our customers actually don't have huge amounts of money to put towards things. So we actually don't want to be a barrier to them accessing services or accessing a delivery. Um, so it's a real fine line um, that we need to tread so that to make sure our community is looked after. The 60-day dispensing is not going to help our community. They need to access us for advice far more often than once every two months for supply. And to remove that um, AHI fee from us um, is a detriment to health literacy, um, patient safety, and all the wastage we're going to see is going to be ridiculous. There have been some specific announcements about regional rural areas and some, some extra funding to compensate for some of the loss. Um, what 
what are some of these announcements and what are your thoughts about them? Well, they actually don't apply to me because regardless of my um, my um, MM, used to be called Fari, it's MM something now, Modified Monash um, uh, grading, it actually talks about a volume of prescriptions that you do. Um, and so unless you're a small volume of prescription pharmacy, um, you're, yeah, I actually don't meet the criteria. So none of that regional funding is going to come through to my pharmacy. Um, and some might say, oh, well, you do lots of scripts. Well, those lots of scripts for my concession card patients are about to be potentially halved. Um, and so whether that then means I meet the criteria or not, I'm not sure yet because I don't really know what's going to happen. Um, but none of these are actually going to be a benefit to my pharmacy Um and so all, all the same challenges apply. Um, so um, with the aged care funding as well, um, what, how will that impact on your pharmacy? So I don't know how I can operationally implement it when I don't have enough pharmacists to do the work in store. How am I meant to be able to provide a whole other pharmacist to go and do the same work in a different setting? Um, and, and again, what's the administrative load of accessing that funding? Um, do you, Carleen, do you have more information about what that funding actually looks like? Because I'm actually not across it. No. So basically, all I know is that it is going through community pharmacy. And I know that um, currently it hasn't been prioritised. The 60-day has been. So for most of the negotiations that are going on between PSA and the Guild, it's mostly focusing on 60-day dispensing. So HK has become a bit less of a priority. Um, yeah. But no, I haven't got any specific information about it, except for the fact that everyone was disappointed that it hasn't come across the way that they expected. And they're yeah. not really sure how it's going to look through community pharmacy. I think the thing regionally, and it's the same that um, when we talk about pharmacists and GP surgeries, et cetera, is specifically rurally and regionally, a lot of that work is occurring anyway by often the, the pharmacist owner or the pharmacist in that small town. Um, and it's a shame that because of place of setting, our remuneration becomes linked to that. Um, so in this case, it coming through community pharmacy for those HMR pharmacists who actually aren't linked to community pharmacy, that's disappointing for them. For me, it's disappointing when I hear for pharmacists works in a GP surgery, they're going to get um, funding potentially. I know that's not a thing yet, but yet I'm doing all of that same uh, medication reconciliation, transitions of care type work from the pace of setting that I'm in. Um, I think it's just disappointing that all of it is linked to a like a geographical location, including just the exemptions to get a HMR done, um, you know, for, for a patient, like the delay that occurs by trying to access the PPA portal and to get an exemption so that a HMR can be done in a mutually agreeable or safe place. There's too many barriers. So with regards to opioid replacement therapy, there's been a lot of discussion about that and how it's definitely going to impact on rural and regional areas. Um, do you have any thoughts on this and, and how it might affect your pharmacy or local pharmacies around you as well? So I can't stress enough the disappointment around the lack of consultation, um, the fact that 1st of July is two weeks away and my pharmacists are scrambling to put together policies, which I'm sure we require from a QCPP point of view to implement this. Um, we haven't actually had any communication from anyone other than maybe seeing a Facebook post and looking at the PPA portal to get our information. Um, and, you know, things like it, apparently an e-script come 1st of July is no longer valid, um, yet we're allowed to annotate a paper 
script from non-PBS to PBS. Um, my patients actually have no idea about it. Um, they have no idea that things are going to change. Um, I know the government's trying to tell us that this is going to be better for us um, from a remuneration point of view, but they haven't... Um, I don't think they've allocated the time that's going to be spent on processing that data through the PPA portal. The same way we do fantastic meds checks, but really by the time you spend all that time putting it in the PPA portal, it you know it becomes an administrative task rather than a clinical task. Um, the fact that we have to buy our stock in now, I think that's ridiculous. Like how have they gone from us never having to have paid for this, this you know chronic disease state management for a vulnerable community who compliance isn't really their thing to start with, you know, um, that cohort of patients, and then now we need to buy the stock in like a fast-moving consumable, um, which is not what this whole program was ever designed to be. Um, so how will it affect us regionally? We have people travel as far as St. Arnold's. So St. Arnold's over an hour away, comes on the bus. Um, uh, we're, we're the only one in our town that does the methadone um, itself and and we want to be injecting sublocate and other things like that. I just don't have the workforce at the moment to do this service well. Um, we will continue to do the service because it's the right thing to do, but I don't actually think it's a great commercial move for my business to continue. And a lot of people would be seeing, thinking the same thing. And then what happens? Because are they all going to present to urgent cares? And there's no public dosing sites around my area. Um, petrol isn't cheap for them to access Ballarat and Bendigo. So I just, it's so poorly thought out by the government. Um, on, and also just the amount of time they're giving us to implement it. Two weeks away. And the first bit of information I actually read on the PPA website was yesterday. Um, in fact, AutiCare, um, my contact for our region from there called yesterday and she had very little information about it. So there are many stakeholders that actually I've just been left in the dark and we are, and because we pharmacists, we love it. We love being compliant. So we will somehow make it work. And it's actually, I feel, feel really frustrated that we will make it work because really it's failing is the only way for the government to see that it's do you know what I mean like we don't want to fail it for our businesses and for our patients but it is so flawed that you know I'm putting extra resources into for one pharmacist off the floor today to sit there and read through the PPA portal because we actually have patients that are on 290 milligrams of methadone and apparently actually there's a cap as to um, a, mil, a, a dose amount on the PPS so beyond that dose amount, I'm actually not really sure. Does that become a private script? Um, I, I don't know the detail. But apparently there's a max dose on a PBS script. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Passion's coming through, right? I didn't realise I was so fired up about this until you asked me these questions. <laughs> I just thought I was, like, bumbling along, you know. <laughs> But it's true because I feel like, um, you know, some of the bigger players, there's lots of people, I've, I've spoken to independent pharmacists who are worried, I've spoken to lots of people, but there's not much done. I know there's a regional pharmacy campaign and there's things going on, but I'm like, but we haven't actually learned anything about what's going on in the background and about the funding that's coming through. I think people keep hearing about the funding and saying, oh, they're going to replace some of the money that's lost. And people are thinking. It's not well, new money though, is it? Because we were, our patients are already used to paying their X amount per week for the service. 
with stock free and the, and you know say thirty dollars a week for the service, um, they're used to paying it. Um, and I know I understand the idea is to have more people access it and for money to not be a barrier. Um, but I think in most cases, for example, for my patients, a conversation with me is very simple and we set up something for Centipay or we have a chat with our local charities that actually do give vouchers and say, you know, this person can contribute this amount per week. Are you guys happy to pick up the slack? So there are other ways um, for this to work. Um, so I don't know. It just does mean. What are your views about what uh, 60 day dispensing and the announcements mean for patients in the short term and the long term in, in those areas as well? So I think it's actually a catastrophe um, to give, particularly in my town, people with low, so, uh, low health literacy 60 days worth of medicines in a time where we're not trusted to give out paracetamol without potentially a prescription or, you know, the... I would say almost harassing S3 questioning of Panadol Osteo to my regular customers now um, who are just like looking at me like, why, why do you keep asking me this? Um, but we, we as pharmacists, we're apparently not trusted to give out paracetamol um, in, in larger quantities, but I can now give out two months worth of a whole range of things that uh, could be fatal if taken inappropriately. Um it makes no sense from a patient safety point of view. It makes no sense from the number of changes that occur. So if I think about wastage and Webster packs, you know, in a week, like the number of changes, oh, we're going to try this, we're going to try that. Or we've decided now we're going to put you in a combination of Exforge HCT. So chuck the other two in the bin and we're going to put you on one tablet with three things in it, you know, to, for help with compliance. Changes occur all the time and two months worth of medicines are going to go in the bin or potentially up to two months worth of medicines. So there's the safety issue. The second part, of course, is I'm a business owner. What am I meant to do? Double buy up my stock for my API bill at the beginning of next month? Like, just so I'm able to fulfill my PBS obligation of providing two lots of stuff? I don't think that my trading terms have been improved or API or whoever, whatever wholesaler you use. I mean, I don't even know what the deal is in the background around that. I, I just have no idea. Um, so that's cash flows for businesses too, right? Um, I don't even know how to project what stock to keep. And I know people say in a few months' time that'll all even out. But with all the different tranches and all the different ways it's going to be rolled out, I don't actually know what that looks like. So there are some commercial realities. The other thing is, you know, people are saying now that there could be some price parity with some of the bigger players because of it. But I have highly a high concession card region. There is not going to be price parity, you know, when everyone is paying just the same PBS co-payment with big competitors like, um, you know, you know who. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, it, it is only a negative step for, I think, rural and regional pharmacies because I think rural and regional pharmacies do have a lot of um, concession card holding patients. Um, so – and. And lonely patients. So, like, what's the go with having us as the most accessible health professionals with up to 10 to 12, 10 to 14 visits a year and saying, just visit your pharmacy half the time? So now they're just going to come in for a chat. <laughs> so is there a payment for the chat now? I mean, don't get me wrong, I like the chat, but it is helpful to also provide medicine. It, yeah, it's, it's not okay. 
okay? Because people are lonely. And since COVID, people are lonelier than ever. Even just taking away our delivery payments because it has been terrible because we still do the same number of deliveries. People have gotten used to deliveries. We know that with all your online click and collects and your Woolies onlines and your Amazon, you know, whatever. People are using pharmacy in the same way still. So. So I thought I'd ask you one more thing. So back to the funding. So because I think that a lot of people have, um, it's not just OPRAD replacement, but um, the funding that the government said that they're going to give to rural and regional areas that you said um, that have to be dispensing a low number of scripts. A lot of people have just heard in general that regional and rural areas are going to be getting this amount and probably thinking maybe it will compensate for things. But I guess I wanted to say that there's so much risk of rural and regional pharmacies closing and having to make even more drastic changes correct, to correct. their business hours or services that they're supplying. So I guess I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about that, about the extra things and the extra compensations that will happen and the fact that that funding does not replace the $156,000 on average yeah, um, yeah. that pharmacies will be losing. Yeah, I think I think the other thing is so I'm a I'm a pricer and I think Priceline's got a fantastic retail offering. Um for my town in particular, when the only other sort of retailer is at Kmart, we are the place for gift, we're the place for beauty, we're the place for all those fun things. Now, if we're reducing my foot traffic, um, because people don't need to build as many scripts, um, then I think that there's a real reduction in this overall business. Um, so people, we've done all the, you know, the strong room and the Nostradata data on what will happen to the script. But what about everything else? What about the incidentals um, that sort of help a pharmacy um, trade? So, for example, we sponsor nearly every single sporting um, organisation in our region um, and and we're always giving donations and raffles to our aged care facilities and all those things. Um, and they're things that happen because we know that, you know, we're a beauty destination as well as a health destination and we want to help in that way. So I think there are other things that are going to actually be reduced as a result of, you know, our ability to provide charity, our ability to do fundraising, you know, I guess our ability to do things that don't result in some sort of profit to be able to put into just running the business for, you know, maybe even reduce trading hours, um, probably definitely reduce staff. Um, and, you know, someone might say to me, oh, doesn't that solve your workforce issues? No, it doesn't solve my workforce issues because we have a town where young people are lost and we employ 40 people. I don't want to be the person that says that, oh, you don't have a job anymore. You know, petrol is expensive. These young people then have to start driving to Ballarat and Bendigo to find work. It's, it's not okay. Um, so I don't have any solutions as yet on that, but I think there is a greater um, – I don't see how there's going to be an increase in any areas, but I definitely see where the deficits are. <laughs> I guess um, – do you have any advice for pharmacists about what they can do to challenge the 60-day dispensing? So I think – the majority of us are trying to do as per the Guild and PSA. Um, and I know that our president, Faye, is in talks with Trent regularly. Um, and uh, we're on the same page as far as um, making sure government listens to us. And I think our slogan is, um, you know, no patient or pharmacy worse off. And 
even the simple things like same job, same pay as far as our vaccination services. So again, they've announced these little incremental increases in, you know, vaccination pay as if that's suddenly going to solve our problems by putting extra things on the NIP when a price line flu shot is twenty four ninety five. I don't think the NIP remuneration for a flu shot is twenty four ninety five. So we're actually that's another area that we're going to be losing some funding. Um, and when they say, okay, well, we'll put more vaccines on the NIP, great, now I have my workforce issue again. So now I need the pharmacist's workforce to be able to deliver those vaccines. All of the accreditation standards, the yearly CPRs and refreshers and fridge and cold chain and da-da-da-da-da, that goes with it. Um, for what I think they've announced is like $17 or don't quote me on that, but something like that. Um so what can we do? I guess, firstly, like I keep hearing from those more experienced than me, we've been here before. Um, and if I remember one thing from my first year of uni is pharmacy is always at a crossroads. Um, I think because we are really optimistic, glass half full bunch of people and solution driven people, I think that's probably why we get hammered all the time because we do come up with ideas. We are innovative. We are small business owners um, and we are community and patient centred. So at the end of the day, none of us try to do the wrong thing by the people around us um, in, in a way that, you know, maybe a big corporate might. Um, so I think to make sure you're doing the petitions, make sure you're activating in store and telling your patients about it. So in case that they are someone who might want to actually, you know, call their, their minister up Um but I think in store, it's time to look at your operations. I think it is time to look at whether you're claiming everything that you can. Are you doing 20 meds checks a month? Um, do you have a HMR pharmacist that might be able to help you with QUM and RMMRs in your aged care facilities, if you have aged care facilities? Um, can you streamline your operations uh, in such a way, uh, you know, I mean, a robot costs money, but could that free your pharmacist up to do more services? Um, if you have some automation happening, uh, so I think, yeah, it's probably time to activate your staff, activate your community and have a look at some of your internal operations to make sure you're maximizing like pharma programs. Like, for example, I reckon my, my team could do better on um, things that the pharma programs have. So there's definitely some low hanging fruit to still look at as far as work that we're already doing. I guess it's the administrative load of sitting down and, you know, we're having those prolia conversations. And, I mean, look, it's a bit hard to look at biosimilars when I'm seeing this big stamp on scripts from specialists saying do not, you know, substitute um, Humira, for example. So, and I know that both the government and the dollars from generic companies are all about biosimilars. So there are things that each business can look at um, depending on, on what your business does and, and how you can do it to to try and call the money back, but it's money that we were owed anyway. It's, you know, it's, it's actually, although those are things that we could do, we, the, the government shouldn't be putting us in this position full stop because um, that's money that we should be able to access anyway without this detrimental policy. Um, do you have any other advice about how people can prepare for the 60-day dispensing? Oh, no, because I wish someone had some advice for me. Um, I think... Uh, you know, we need more detail. I, I, you know, every time I talk to someone, it's this very vague, will be right kind of sentiment, which is nice because who wants doom and gloom? But I actually don't know what the detail is. I don't know what the detail is in anything. Um, and it's very unnerving and, and it provides a sense of, um, you know, I have my pharmacist 
pharmacy staff, so not my pharmacist staff, my pharmacy staff who are seeing things on, you know, media channels. And they're, they're worried about their job security. Um, you know, staff that have just bought houses and have mortgages and are wondering, you know, they, they hear this, you know, jobs will be lost. And I get asked, like, will my job be lost? And I'm like, oh, God, no, like, you know, that's not my intention. Um, but I don't know what the commercial reality is actually going to look like. Um, and I wish we had more detail. I wish there was more consultation. But the past is dead. So we need to work with what we have um, and move forward. But I think moving forward, we actually need that detail to make some good decisions. Um, I, I still don't, after reading that, uh, skimming that Ergas report that's just come out, actually, so the Guild just released that, there doesn't even seem to be any patient, patient benefit. So what is happening? Like, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Um, so there's no patient benefit or very little, and there is detriment to the pharmacy sector so small business owners and healthcare professionals and not just like the owners by the way why would you in year 12 want to apply for pharmacy knowing that this is the future so what about my friends that are academics going to have less students to inspire who wants to do a phd in our field now like what are we creating new things for who's going to implement them at the end of the day operational excellence happens in community pharmacies all of the data all the tools in the world um, my, I often say this to my dear friend and president, Amy Page, you can create all the tools. I'm an implementer, but we're getting to a place now where is implementing even something that we can even manage. Um, so who are the tools for? Like, why are we even creating them? You know, we say it's for patient safety, patient adherence, better clinical outcomes, but does the government care? The government's just wanting to push our medicines out like they're fast-moving goods. Um and so that's really, really disappointing and it's going to affect every single person. Banks, you know, I'm sure my bank would like some security that I'm able to repay loans. Um, you know, anyone that's connected to our sector, all you need to do is, do is go to a pharmacy conference and see the trade show. There are many, many different industries, IT industries that are connected to our sector, banking industries, lawyers, accountants, all sorts of different suppliers, Um you know, are connected into our industry. And so I think this policy change affects everyone. That was my next question, um, that it does affect more people um, than pharmacists and patients, like interns, wholesalers, locums, banks, the pharmaceutical industry. So what are some of your thoughts about all the other people, um, people who just bought pharmacies before oh, the announcement? So it's <laughs> devastating, I think. I think I read, um, I read, somewhere maybe on social media that one person had who has a young child and has used her parents house as the um sort of the guarantor for buying this business and based on at least that initial announcement she was about to lose her, her aging parents house um which obviously they gave it in you know in good stead thinking like i'm gonna help my my daughter with this pharmacy um so some really devastating news for young people i think uh, in particular um, you know, we are such clever pharmacists. Like, we are actually such clever health professionals. The things that we field every single day, I am no expert in wound care as such, like, but, you know, there we are, dressing people. I'm no expert in, in sports medicine, but there I am putting, you know, compression bandages on people on, on Saturdays or strapping tape. There's lots of things that we're no, not experts on, but we are seen as experts in the community, you know, complementary medicines. Not everyone wants, you know, a drug with, um, you know, bioequivalence data. They want to try things that they believe are correct, and we're out there giving the best advice that we can. 
it's just so disappointing that the narrative around this is around money, like in the media at the moment, all of it. It would be nice if we were, you know, the conversation was more about our skills and then our skills being remunerated appropriately. So I guess I thought I'd ask what your sentiments are for other pharmacists too, um, maybe to understand a bit more about the unique challenges for regional and rural pharmacy, as well as um, any sentiments for pharmacists just in general who are trying to grapple with all the changes. So I think for all pharmacists, but I'll say regional pharmacists, is like go back to your community, do your needs or gap analysis and keep providing um, because each community will have its own thing um, and I do think from working really basically my whole career the advice and contribution to lifting up health literacy in these areas to like help generations of family look after each other is really important and we still have that role there and your customers and patients will continue to be loyal if you continue to treat your community like they are humans not like they are just another number. Um, keep having those conversations because they know that you're trusted. They know that they can access you. They know they can get me on a Sunday when they can't get anyone else. Um, and keep looking after your communities and, and your staff and your patients. And I think hopefully the money will follow. Ho hopefully you'll be supported financially so you can continue to do that job. Um, and don't forget how clever you are because we are medicines experts. Um, so making sure we remember that we are trained to do a certain job and we do it pretty well um, and to be proud of that. And I think there are some unique opportunities with the UTI pilot program in Victoria, particularly for my town, where I'm going to be able to help people rather than leave them in the lurch or without an adequate solution when they see me with lower back pain and urinating blood or, or hopefully it's not that bad. But, you know, that does happen and I send them up to urgent care and there's no doctor because our doctors are our GPs who are BMOs and it's a whole it's a whole survey. You're basically pulling them out of um, clinic to see someone at urgent care, then everyone at clinic's waiting for, you know, however many hours. But I might be able to give them some trimethoprim and get them on their way. So that's super exciting and totally within my scope of practice. And I look forward to more things like that rurally. And I think that's what's exciting about being a pharmacist. There's always new things. When I became a pharmacist, we didn't vaccinate. Now we do so much vaccination. Um, so there's always something new and cool and fun for all of the challenges I've had in my career, actual pharmacy has never failed me, like the science and the art of pharmacy. So don't feel like you're finishing any degree and you're getting nowhere. Like it is awesome and there's lots and lots of different ways to practice. Um, and if you are someone who's interested in business, there are some really wonderful things about it, like influencing and inspiring in your team, like looking at retail, which is kind of fun, like retail is psychology, right? You know, why do people buy what they do when they do it? Um, it? It's very interesting and it actually links into medicines as well. So I think stay excited. Look for big solution finders. Um, doom and gloom is not going to help us. One foot in front of the, the next. And, and at the same time, fight the good fight against the government who's done the wrong thing. And are there any other thoughts you have or anything I haven't asked you? No, I think that's everything. Um I do, I do think it sucks that it's the 21st of June. I think it's 21st June. And I'm meant to be implementing something in eight days. And the 1st of July is on a Saturday. Like, I'm just so mad about that. <laughs> so I'm talking about the ORT stuff. So yes. they're doing it on a Saturday. 
where regional pharmacies aren't trading big days with one pharmacist, with X number of patients, with all of this change, with no communication to us or patients. Um, so I'm not really sure what's going to come out in the media in the next eight days. Um, and not to mention a lot of that cohort of patients of mine probably do not access normal media channels to get their information. Um, so I will be their source of information and I am really unclear as to what we're doing. So I've, it's very frustrating. Yes. I think you shared a lot of people's sentiment. <laughs> Please um, talk about the impact. Um, yeah, so there's a couple of things. So the first one is I think about my town and I'm in the state of Victoria um, where, you know, we've had Chairman Dan Andrews looking after us across COVID. Um, I, I just feel like state government should be jumping up and down on the impacts that's going to happen to state-funded things like urgent cares and emergencies because Community pharmacy, and there's even an ad in Victoria where, funnily enough, we're wearing a funny blue coat in it, even though we're pharmacists that wear a white coat, that says, you know, call on us in your in your times of minor ailment needs or triage or, you know, differential diagnosis, and we aren't going to be around anymore. So if um, Dan Andrews and his team want people turning up with uh, simple conjunctivitis, simple migraine advice, um, simple cold and flu advice, then that's going to happen. Um, so, again, that's short-sightedness. But I think a really, really important one to, for everyone to think about and, and workforce and government is the sheer amount of burnout and disenfranchised trained professionals we're going to get. And we already know we've had leakage from the profession across COVID um, with, you know, in some areas the amount of abuse um, that we got from the public and things like that. Um, so I think it's super important that um, we are looking after each other. And I know um, Kay at Pharmacist Support Service has been someone I've actually called myself um, with some challenges in my workplace. Um, but, and, and I know every time I listen to a Guild webinar as well, they, they, they mention and put that slide up and, and say that they've had more calls than, than ever, I think. I think that's true. But I think it's, um, it's a real shame that we're going to have a lot of burnout um, and a lot of disenfranchised well-trained professionals um, as a result of this policy. And I don't know that the government has really thought that through because I'm pretty sure we've only just recently, like in the last two or three years, put pharmacy back on the knees list for migration. Um, and although it's great and I welcome pharmacists from all parts of the world to come, um, they aren't locally trained. They haven't done the same kind of OSCE-type role-play scenarios um, in their training because I, I have had overseas interns before and it's a real learning for them because we practice pharmacy in Australia very differently to the rest of the world. Um, so it's going to be a real shame to lose um, great health professionals to burnout. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AJP podcast. If you have any thoughts, comments or suggestions about this episode, please visit the AJP website forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation. If you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please follow us on Twitter at AJP podcast and send us a message.